One of the most glorious things about our faith is the personal presence and power of God with us. He is what makes us and keeps us and leads us forward. John Piper, in a podcast, doing podcasts these days, so I must be modern. (laughs) He says, our experience of God's presence means that we taste or feel or realize the reality of God more directly, more authentically, more intimately, more effectively. That is, producing more effects in our lives, more certainly, more satisfyingly, more terrifyingly, and so on. In other words, his presence as we experience him is the heightening of his reality in our lives. And that makes life worth living. The Apostle Paul desires this same thing for all the churches that he has planted. And so in his little letter to the Thessalonians, he congratulates them, he encourages them by speaking to them of God's presence in their midst. So let's read the first 10 verses of 1 Thessalonians. Join with me uh, in the Pew Bibles, if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. Tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are certainly grateful to read this letter from the Apostle. Because in it we see such glorious things about you. How you in loving kindness reached down to planet Earth in the life of our Lord Jesus to save us, to present us before your presence with perfection and purity, and to call us to service in your kingdom. Thank you, God, for blessing us so abundantly. And we pray, Father, as we consider the things written in this little letter this morning, that you will bless us with understanding. Fill us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit for your purpose, that we may know you and serve you with full and joyful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So Paul opens his little letter with the classic greeting in Greek. Paul encourages the Thessalonians with, we always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He cites their faith, their love, and their hope. Now that should sound familiar to you if you read the Apostle Paul. Those are the three biggies, right? Faith, hope, and love. These are surely attributes that are necessary for all bodies of Christ, all churches everywhere. But here it is noteworthy because of the Thessalonian steadfastness in these basic characteristics. Work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's consider these for just a moment. Work produced by faith. Now, Paul insists that salvation is all of God, but he also insists that faith is busy. We're about God's purposes. We've been changed, we have been transformed by God and his Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are about the work of the kingdom. The Thessalonians are spurred towards service and witness because their faith does not support the status quo of suffering and sin. They believe Jesus is the remedy, so they live Jesus in front of their neighbors, in front of everyone. They are a testimony, work produced by faith. They know Jesus is real, they love the Lord, and are about his purposes. They're also engaged in labor promoted by love. Transformed people, you see, are moved by love of God and love of neighbor. They can't let it alone. They have to perform, to work together for the kingdom of God. Grateful Christians love and sharing love abroad for the greater good, for the crying need of the world. Believers labor prompted by their love. They also endure, and that endurance is inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord is their recompense, their very great reward and his promises are sustaining, they believe, they hope, they love, until they receive the well-done, good, and faithful servant. Until they, then they persevere. They go until they're done. Paul says, because of these characteristics, he knows that they are chosen by God to be God's people. How you may ask, does he do that? Well, we're familiar with the proverb, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. It's another way of saying what Paul is saying here. It's what is meant is that you had to try out the food to know whether it was good or not. In this case, the proof of the believer is in the living. Because the gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And they respond. They that are true. It means that the message that the apostles brought to the Thessalonians was backed up by the power of God. It means that the spiritual ministry that they received from God's Holy Spirit opened their eyes, unplugged their ears, softened their hearts, and quickened their minds. It also means that the apostolic message was delivered with heartfelt conviction and love. So none of this was 
an accident. None of this was a coincidence or of a human decision, but of the will of God. In other words, they are chosen by God. So all of this says to the apostles that what happened to the church in Thessaloniki was that God moved in powerful ways in the midst of those people and they responded gloriously, faithfully, and steadfastly. And they are still maintaining their faith in a way that is bearing witness to the entire world. And so Paul encourages them. Therefore, because of what God has done, these Thessalonians have become imitators of the apostles and of the Lord. They, they are beginning to look like the apostles, and even better, they're beginning to look like Jesus. In all that they do, in the ways they think, in the way they live, they are resembling more and more the image of Christ. And even in the midst of suffering, they are doing this. Even in the midst of troubles, they welcome the message that the disciples brought with joy. And that's proof, from Paul's perspective, that God is working in them, that he has chosen them. Proof of the Holy Spirit in the reception of the gospel. And they're not only being um, a testimony to their neighbors, but they're even reaching out to Macedonia and Achaia. So the word of these Thessalonians and their faithfulness and the gospel that has changed and transformed them is spreading outside their little village into the rest of their area. So they're exhibiting a local realization of their role in the gospel. Right? But it doesn't stop there. Paul says, the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. So there you see a, a global aspect to their ministry, to their testimony. You know, it's like, it's like they heard a perspectives course, right? Way back before perspectives was even around, which Paul says that's proof that God has chosen them and has sustained them and maintains them to be his people, being a testimony. The reception of the gospel and the testimony of their conversion has encouraged everywhere. How do they know that? Well, first of all, they have abandoned idol worship. Now, back in those days, there was a lot of idol worship abandoning because they were, you know, the Roman Empire was going strong and the Roman Empire was bringing all kinds of new religions in. And so people were, you know, dumping idol worship to go for the more esoteric forms of religion. And, and, uh, and, and that was, you know, something that was happening, a phenomenon in the empire during that period. So people would say, oh, they, they gave up idols and they're doing Christianity. That's just like everybody else. No, it's not. Because the Thessalonians haven't given up idols to go after another imaginary idol. They're going after the real thing. They are worshiping the risen Lord Jesus. They turn to the true and living God to serve him, it says. Some people have abandoned idolatry merely out of a belief that either there were no gods or the gods that they had were totally aloof and didn't care. The Christian message had to stress a positive alternative, and it did. 
service to the genuine, caring, and compassionate God. And that's what the the Thessalonians were going for, the real thing. They were transformed by it. Paul says, the evidence of your actions is leading me to understand that God has chosen you, and it has stuck. You are the real deal now as well. These Thessalonians had pinned their hope on Jesus as the one and only deliverer from a future judgment. They are putting their trust in Jesus who was raised from the dead by the power of God. And by this act, God was declaring him to be his son. And now these Thessalonians, like faithful servants and prepared versions from like Matthew 25, they wait. Not a passive inactivity, but an engaged, joyful anticipation that desires to be found faithful and ready to welcome the Lord with circumcised hearts and sanctified lives. Right? They have been transformed. They are no longer idolaters. They are no longer uh, culturally and societally. It's not even a word. I just made it up. They are no longer what they were, but now they are new creatures in Christ Jesus. They have been chosen. They are the body of Christ. And Paul in this little letter is saying, it's true. This has happened, and I am encouraging you by saying we all notice. We all notice that what is going on in you is encouraging all of us. And so we want to encourage you back again. This is all because... The Thessalonians have realized that history will not simply run its course, but under the guidance of God, it will come to glorious consummation. His purposes will be fulfilled in the end, and the Thessalonians will be part of that glorious consummation. They also notice that the believers, like the Thessalonians, should watch for work, watch for and work in anticipation of the sure return of the Lord. See, the Thessalonians are waiting for Jesus to come back, but they're not just hanging around. They haven't sold all their gear and are sitting on a mountaintop waiting. They are engaged in the culture. They are ministering to their neighbors and and to the country in which they live in powerful ways, being a testimony for the power of the gospel. And they're doing that to be prepared for when Jesus returns. When he returns, their earthly bodies will be transformed into something far better. The imperfections which are now known will disappear. Our everlasting bodies will know no pain, no illness, no death, no sin. The time is coming when justice will be dispensed, evil will be punished, and faith and faithfulness rewarded. In view of the certainty of the second coming and the finality of the judgment which will follow, It is imperative that the Thessalonians act in accordance with the will of God. And Paul says, you are. You are acting in that way. This uh, little letter written uh, roughly uh, 1,700, 1,800 years ago could have been written today to us. And that's one of the glories of the kingdom of God is that the ministry of the apostles is still going strong all this time later. And we can receive this letter written by the apostle as if it is to us, saying that every time he thinks of us, he is joyful. Every time he prays, he prays for us, sharing his gratitude with the Father who has made it all possible. 
And because of what he sees us doing, he calls us chosen ones. Because the only way for that to happen is for God to make a difference. For God to come down and intercede and transform our hearts, change our minds, open our ears, open our eyes, fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we become living temples of the living God. The only way for us to become an encouragement to the rest of the world is to be the chosen ones of God, like the Thessalonians, doing what they can to be a testimony. Now, I don't want to give you a big head, but perhaps a timely encouragement. God has chosen you. He has placed you. He has equipped you. He has purposed you with testifying power and Holy Spirit. He has called you to be devoted to him. He has called you to be waiting like busy servants preparing for the coming of the king. Like virgins trimming their wicks and filling their lamps with oil to be ready when the king comes so that he may have a proper reception. You exhibit all the things that drew praise from the apostle. And like the apostle, I would say to you, keep it up. Don't stop. You know who you are. God has made you a living body of Christ. Don't be dissuaded to trade it in for anything else. This is a precious inheritance. You know who you are. Keep going. Keep doing what God has called you to do. And remember, the true glory of it all, from John 15, 16, and 17, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray.